I'm Melissa White, and welcome to the Spirit Room Podcast. This is a show to help inspire you to live your life to the fullest, but really to learn about those that guide us, our unseen helpers, guides, angels, loved ones in spirit that walk beside us in this life. I'll share with you personal experiences from my life as a professional medium and mentor. I'll also offer you insight into working with the spirit world and introduce you to guests that I find fascinating and that might lead you on your own journey to further discover your own soul's gifts. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Hi, it's Melissa White, and welcome to the Spirit Room podcast. I have a beautiful guest today. I can't wait for you to hear this episode. It's Meg Calvin, who is a writing and marketing coach who helps writers to do some deep spiritual work to create their Amazon best-selling books. So after 15 years as a minister, Meg began serving nonfiction and memoir writers who are fellow, as she refers to them, spiritually attuned go-getters back in 2020. Regardless of their book's topic, a spiritually attuned go-getter is a writer who doesn't only have a high frequency of service to others, but also believes that ambition is holy and that birthing a book is truly a divine process. So just relax and enjoy this conversation. I know you'll love her energy and her sincerity and I know I did. It was a real, real blessing and a joy to have this conversation. So enjoy. Hello, Meg, Calvin. Thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. I was totally in the divine feminine getting ready for this. I just got out of a nice warm bath and I have my crystals here with me and my candle lit and the lights down low. My hair's all nice and clean. My face has lotion. I'm just totally feeling all the feels getting ready for the the fun we're going to have tonight. Amazing, amazing. Yeah, that sounds like beautiful ambiance for, for our conversation. So that's awesome. So yeah, it's a pleasure to be able to chat. And I think we'll just we'll begin with the first question I ask lots of people. When did you first realize your intuitive abilities? What's coming to me is that I had a knowing of them before I knew what they were, which I'm sure lots of people could say the same thing as mm -hmm. I've come to believe that we are all highly intuitive beings. The only difference is that the time we give to strengthen them or give attention to them, give attention to our intuitive gifts. And so I think back to, oh goodness, when I was three or four, I was known for not talking a lot. And they would joke that my big sister would always talk for me. But they said, and this went on till adulthood, it's still very, very much part of me. Mm -hmm. But- I was singing more than I was talking. I was always, always singing. And it was therapy for me as a kid. And then I think back to, I had the ability to harmonize early on in, as a kid in singing, which made me a great alto, but that ability of always hearing, hearing things. And so I joined a church choir when I was six. It was a really special moment. I was the only Caucasian in this all African-American choir. They were adults and I was a kid and they, one of the, mm -hmm singers worked with my mom and it was a great opportunity. And I remember feeling a really holy divine 
moment as a kid who needed, who had gone through some stuff in early childhood around physical abuse and neglect. And so I remember experiencing very holy things through through sound. And then I began preaching when I was 13. And I, in the Christian world, we call that, I speak like I'm still still a minister, but in that world, usually it's called, we wouldn't call that channeling, but in a sense it is. And looking back now, I remember just feeling drawn to write and to preach at 13. And and that began opening the doors for my path as a minister was because mentors began at the age of 13, really pushing me to visit seminaries and pushing me to go to college and, and study religion and become a minister and it had to, looking back now, it was, well, I wouldn't have called it channeling. It most definitely was. The writing that was coming out of me when I would preach as a tween felt different. And then the only other memory that comes to mind is I had this insane moment when I was nine, when my grandmother, we were living in Europe, army family, and my grandmother took us backpacking through Europe. We lived in Germany at the time. And I'll never forget when we went to St. Mark's Basilica, when we walked into the church, I was overwhelmed with fear, so much so that I can still, it's a visceral memory. I can remember pr- pressing my the side of my face, the right side of my face to my grandmother's belly and almost falling to the floor. And my grandmother saying, oh, she's scared of the pickpocketers. That's all. It's time It's time to leave. Mm-hmm. But looking back now, I I feel that it was... It could have been, and since I was always told I was way too sensitive as a kid, I was always told my imagination was too big. I I didn't sleep well. I had a sensitivity to darkness and sleeping alone. And but in that moment, I almost wonder if at nine I felt the energy of of that space. And so those are those are long winded, <laughs> long winded memories I have of my intuitive abilities making themselves known. Yes. Oh, it makes perfect sense. And I think you're very correct in that assessment with the energy of that place, that space. There's probably so much built up, like historical kind of events and things that have occurred in that place. So intense that you would have felt it really, really deeply. But of course, at that age, you may not have had the way to like articulate exactly what that was or to even maybe even understand it logically but from the energetic perspective and from the way that your soul would have felt you would have been experiencing that for sure definitely yeah and it's so many it's so interesting because I felt you know that feeling that you were talking about being in church and especially with the singing I really experienced Mm -hmm. that as a young child as well but it was yeah my grandpa that used to take me when I was little and when people would sing. That was just this sensation like, oh, that's what God feels like. Like this is the mm. feeling of what it feels like when the angels come close. Like it was very touching and beautiful. So I totally, I resonate with what you're saying there. And also I was not a good sleeper, trouble with sleep, difficulty with sleep. Even to this day, you know, it's still, I'm still not a great sleeper. So I, I totally can relate to all of those things that you were saying. But that's amazing. So, okay. So when, I guess, or how did you decide that maybe the like seminary and the training was for you? Was there a specific moment or anything like that that you can recall? Yes. I remember 
start, as I said, I started to preach at 13 and right. my, my grand, my grandparents, but that wasn't the moment. <laughs> okay. My grandparents would take me, they were missionaries and my grandmother was an oblate and they were really, really in a sense, more parents to me than my, my parents. And that's a whole nother podcast episode that we won't bore your listeners with now. But anyway, so as their roles as missionaries and my grandmother as an oblate, they would take me around to conferences and other churches and monasteries. And I was basically, for lack of a better term, their show pony. And I would preach and sing. And God used that for a lot of good. And they, that was very much in alignment with my gifts and my calling. And also that the church's applause was filling a void that I didn't feel for affirmation and validation at my home. Mm-hmm. And so all those things were, were going on. And so when I was 16, I will never forget it. I was on a Christless flight, which was in a Methodist church that I grew up in. It was this weekend long spiritual retreat for teenagers. And it was very, very, it wasn't cult-like, thankfully. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it did a very good job. <laughs> very, very good job. And for the most part, except for the purity culture part where the church never gets right. But anyway, other than that, it was a good experience. And I'll never forget, I was in the sanctuary late at night and I heard, and I'm, as my intuitive gifts, as I trust them more, looking back now, I tend to, my moments of clear audience, now that I have a title for a label for that, mm-hmm. tend to come from the masculine side, usually on the the behind my head. I've been fascinated by that. I've had one moment recently this past year as in, insane moments of healing have happened in my life the past two years of my aunt who was a spiritual guide to me crossed over in January of 2020. And I feel like ever since then, I've been on an explosive spiritual moment of spiritual growth. And so I've had a moment the past two years where I felt there was someone I know there was someone speaking to me about a sweaty palm conversation I had to have. Mm-hmm. Long story long, I have reconnected with my with my father, my biological father, who I haven't seen in 33 years. And oh we were God. separated when I was three. Mm-hmm. And that has just happened the past six months. And when I was considering having a sweaty palm conversation around that reconnection, there was a, a best friend of my family who had crossed over 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I had this moment on the left side, the feminine side above me, clear as day words of this this person. And I thought it was my aunt, but she usually speaks to me on the masculine side, which I know is very weird, <laughs> but it is what it is. Mm-hmm. But in this one, the words were fairy-like. It wasn't heavy and intrusive. Mm-hmm. And I then took a power nap right after the words came to me. And the words were, there will be grace in this conversation. Then they said the person's name. We'll mm-hmm. call her Katie. Katie's ability to not give a fuck, pardon my French, about everything is going to surprise you. Let her surprise you in this conversation. And then I thought, that's not my aunt. Who is that? And then as soon as I went to, I took a 15-minute power nap after it happened, the name dropped on my head of this relative, this family friend of mine. Mm-hmm. And so, okay, so back in time, 20 years ago when I'm in this <laughs> this sanctuary mm-hmm. and I feel the masculine side behind me, the words come to me, I made you, I made you for this. I made you for this. And there were two other moments in my my life when that happened. 
and they were a moment when I was deciding to go to seminary and not when I was 20, 23 and was thinking, oh my gosh, have I been living my whole life based on everyone's choices for me, everyone's opinions of me? Like, the, which is probably common for 23 year olds. And then it happened again when I chose to go to seminary and was at seminary, the voice came again from the right side masculine behind me. And so long story, very long, when I was 16 was when I, I made the decision to become a full, a full-time minister and officially. And I did that till I was 32. Wow. Wow. So, I mean, it's so interesting to me because I do recognize and notice there are lots of people who are religious, like religious people who are so intuitive and psychic. And mm. even in their religious belief, if they have a belief that it's like not a good thing or, or whatever, they are so psychic and intuitive, you know, and I think they're connecting, of course, they're connecting to God, but there's a sense that it's almost like, yeah, you were given that sort of guidance or inspiration to go forward. And it's now like, you're doing the same thing, but it's like you've just changed the way that you're doing it. Like that's the way that it feels to me. So it's, yeah, it's so interesting. Oh, yes. I love how you say that. And it's been fascinating since I left the ministry to think back to just how we use different labels for the same experiences. Like yes. see, see, when we say seers in the Pentecostal movement, those are clairvoyance. And prophets are those that have the the wealth, the fine-tuned, the way I understand it, have the, the fine-tuned gift of precognition. Yes. And, and all throughout the Bible, we see numerology, we see astrology, we see sacred oils and stones. Mm -hmm. We see God speaking through psychic dreams. And we see people, all the clairs come up throughout the Bible. It's really, it's really fascinating. And I, it's being, having such a weird, weird experience of being on a church staff, a paid member from the age of 17 to 32, I always had this intuitive knowing that Christianity wasn't telling the whole story. And I was afraid that I might be found out. And mm. I was always, I was always drawn, always drawn to the metaphysical world and spiritual technologies, but I didn't go to them. I didn't embrace them till after I left the church. I was very fortunate in my upbringing that while I had the grandparents who were missionaries and my grandmother was an oblate, which is basically a nun that can have sex and be married is the way I understand an oblate. <laughs> that, um, okay. Can I cut, just cut in there? Totally. Me? Totally. Yeah. Well, because when I was like, okay, when I was going to church, when I was a child, it was the Catholic church and I mm -hmm. really, really wanted to be a nun. Like I, it was, it was sort of like an idea that I had, but I also, basically because I wanted to marry Jesus, like that was my thinking because I had like a crush on Jesus. Like I loved Jesus so much. But now when I think that, that's awesome, the thing that kept me from it is that I always wanted to have kids, you know? Oh, so yes. I didn't know, see, had I known at that time that maybe there was another religion that would allow you to still, still have children, I might've signed up for that. So it's just, yeah, interesting to, interesting to know that that does exist. Oh, yes. And the Oblates are part of the Catholic faith. And they, this was the spiritual center of spiritual formation through the upper room. The upper room. It's a big Methodist publishing company. And they offered these programs with the Catholic faith that, uh -huh. that people from all denominations could 
they'd go through catechism-like trainings. My grandmother mm-hmm. went through a lot of them to become an, a certified oblate. And But yeah, I, I was like you. I wanted to be a nun for a very long time, was very, very drawn toward mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And didn't even want to have children until I met my my husband. And I was like, okay, mm-hmm. let's have a baby. Yeah. Well, that's so interesting. I've never met anyone else that had that same desire for that. So that's really cool. That's very cool. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Okay. So, yeah. So, okay. So then you're you're working and you're a part of this religious, you know, religious organization. How was that to leave? Like, was there, I'm imagining like some grief over making that change as well as the freedom that came with it? Or what was that experience like? Yes. I'm thinking there was, <laughs> I don't think there was any grief. <laughs> okay. I've, I've done what I came here to do in this, in this way. Yeah. It was so bizarre looking back now. And it, mm-hmm. in 2017, my first book got picked up and that opened the door as it does for speaking. And I began coaching with an international network of children's ministry where I coached those that serve children and family in church-based work and preventing burnout and compassion fatigue. And I want, I love that one-on-one time with clients mm-hmm. so much. And I also began to notice this holy discontent that I had of, this is so sad, like you you were saying earlier, this is so sad that people who's, who could be powerful healers in the world, mm-hmm. they are so held back by their limited, their limiting beliefs around, around pleasure, around abundance. And by mm-hmm. pleasure, I mean all sorts of pleasure, like yeah. doing what brings you joy. <laughs> pleasure, abundance, monetizing their gifts, marketing, trusting themselves was it was as if these religious and indoctrinations we had been trained to teach were be, were our thorn in our flesh were our biggest a roadblock in a sense yeah and that holy discontent got me really curious and i wanted more of that i wanted to explore that question like how could i be more helpful and i wanted more moments of coaching and more moments of of speaking and i was loving marketing my first book and i wanted to begin um building my own business so that that happened in 2017, March, my first book got picked up. And by April of 2018, mm-hmm, I had a big nudge in March of 2018. I told one of my good friends, I don't know what's coming, but I feel I feel like something's coming. And I, I feel like I'm not going to be in the church forever. And I used mm-hmm. to believe that I would be. Mm-hmm. And then come April, a month later after I spoke, surrendered to that and spoke to it, I told my team I was leaving and I left that December. Wow. Well, I'll say this. I know for myself and what I've noticed with lots of really intuitive and psychic women, there's this weird thing where I've noticed I become aware of things for myself about two years in advance. Like, wow, there's usually some kind of rumbling something that I become aware of. And sometimes it's detailed and I have a, an idea of exactly kind of like how that's going to go. And other times it's not, it's more vague and it's just, but it's a knowing. It's a deep knowing that this circumstance is going to, this will be completely different. This will have shifted. And it's annoying in some ways because it's so ahead of time that you almost feel like it should be 
it should be immediate, it should be happening right away. But then in another sense, I think, oh, it's kind of amazing because when you do look back, you can see, oh yeah, I was aware of that. Like I did feel that along the way. So it sounds like you had a similar experience, although it seems like things shifted like more, more quickly than, you know, the two years. Oh, that's so fascinating. I learned so much from you. That's so fascinating how you articulated that. Oh, yeah. It's just interesting. You know, it's so interesting mm -hmm. it's for everyone. But this, there is something about the two-year thing that I don't know. I'm convinced there is there is something about that. So I need to delve into it with my guides a little more and see, you know, what else I can find out. Um, mm, but I love, yes. I love that you had the courage to make that leap, like to change directions, you know, or kind of like let go of what you thought was going to be the rest of your life. And have the courage to be open to something new. And really, it's a testament to your faith, you know, that, that yourself, faith in the universe, faith in God, all of it. So it's a real inspiration for people that I think are listening and are maybe knowing something like that themselves, like they have that knowing, but then there is some fear that creeps in. So I think it's really good that you're sharing that part of your story. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's beautiful. So what do you think would be some of the things that spiritually based or intuitive business owners, what do they what do they struggle with when it comes to marketing themselves? The number one struggle I see in the clients I serve and in, mm -hmm. and in myself as, as a trusted guide from the trenches mm -hmm. is, is and was doing the shadow work around the fact that I want attention. Or as my or the client that I'm serving, he, she, or they want the spotlight. They want attention, and we always say when we're learning different types of posts for organic social media marketing that I teach, they always say, "What well, what if someone thinks that I want the attention?" And so we get to do the shadow work around that because, as you know, I serve people from all over the religious spectrum: the fire and brimstone Baptist pastor with a heart of gold and a great message. On the far right, and then a boudoir photographer who practices Buddhism on the far left, and I serve them all, and I'll speak whatever language serves them. Mm -hmm. And all of them, when they learn these post types, if they have been working in ministry, we have been trained <laughs> to never have the attention on us. We have, mm -hmm. we for so many years, I repented, like I'm so sorry, God, that I I enjoyed the limelight. I'm so sorry, God, that I made it about me when it's about you. I'm just a vessel. I'm just a blah, 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 <laughs> instead of standing in our power as divine co-creators. And getting in the shadow work, taking that out, which has been repressed in us, and cuddling with it and looking at it and loving it, loving it and saying, damn right, I want the attention. I want all the attention because what I'm selling is serving people. What I'm selling offers life transformation. And because I'm a person of integrity, I want your attention because I want to help you. And I have no doubt that your listeners are people of integrity, are people of they're seeking to be in alignment so they can trust that they're not narcissistic. <laughs> they can trust <laughs> what they're marketing is going to raise the vibrations of people on, a, on individually or the collective consciousness. What they're serving is good. So yes, get all the attention. And so once we do deep work around that, that I that shadow work of what if people think I want the attention, that is very, very helpful for a lot of my clients. I love that. I think that's so true. And also, I think that you have to look at the bigger picture. Like, 
of course we need to market ourselves. How else, are, how else is that going to work? Like how else are you going mm-hmm. to reach the people that you want to reach? You know, we want to make, we're on a mission to make a difference and to like reach people. So yes, we do have to be able to put that out there. And I think also one thing I noticed is like, if I have a student who's feeling worried of how it is perceived or how it might come across or is this is this narcissistic of me? I just always say, if you're questioning if it is, then you're likely not. Like a, a, a true narcissistic person is not going to question that. They wouldn't be too worried about it. So I think just knowing that, yeah, it's, it's a beautiful thing to express yourself. And I think marketing can be such an expression mm-hmm. of who you are, expression of your soul. And it doesn't have to be something, I don't know, I think sometimes people who are quite spiritual, people with, you know, working in this mediumship or any other kind of spiritually based like work, we sometimes worry, you know, like we do have guilt or shame when it comes to like money wounds and abundance and leaving mm-hmm. abundance. And so the shadow work, I think that's such an important piece of it, such an important aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, definitely. So walk us through what it's like to work with you as, well, I guess both. I'd love to know what it's like to work with you as a writing coach, but also like with as a marketing coach. And honestly, like so many of my students have dreams of writing. And I also I've been writing since I was young and it is a passion. And it's something that even comes up like in my astrology and all there's all kinds of things around it but I know for lots of people including me the writing process is sometimes overwhelming to think about but then also the actual publishing that to me just seems so like daunting so I'm I'm all ears and just want to hear anything you have to say about all of that Oh, I'm so excited. I'm so excited to share this and to hear that it's it's part of your identity as a writer. It's part of your way of expressing and mm, that's so, so good. So, so good. Yes. So, as you said, two two different packages. One is just marketing. Mm-hmm. And I'll talk on that one in a on a, in a second. I'll mm-hmm. first share with the the prosperous writer package. And this is the seven-step blueprint. I won't read the whole thing. Don't worry. The seven-step blueprint that prosperous writers use to write, market, and self-publish a book to bestseller status in Amazon in six to 12 months. So the first step is that we transcend any limiting filters, as we talked about before. This is the, 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 the magic, the magic that I bring, one of my greatest gifts, is getting to those deep subconscious blocks around a person of the writer's limiting beliefs around their talent, their identity, money, pleasure, their time, their idea, their their personal, their ideal reader. It's it had in my experience the past been in the publishing game since 2017, been coaching the past three years with all of my clients. It has never and with other authors, it has never been a matter of a lack of talent or lack of a good idea that holds a writer back from serving people with their book. It's always these deep subconscious blocks that we get to unblock through and transcend these limiting filters and these blocks. I might've said two steps. Yeah, I did. Okay. Then we establish, then we establish a routine. So we take a look at 
the writer's personality type and learning style. We do some quizzes together so I can get inside your brain and help me best honor you with your routine. What is your best environment to write in if you're not already self-aware of that? And then looking at your life stage, what makes the most sense for you to write? Are you a daily writer? 500 words a day? Are you a weekly writer? One night a week, 2,000 words a week? Or are you a binge writer like Cheryl Strayed who wrote Wild? Once a month, she gets a hotel room for a whole weekend and she'll leave her family and she'll go to this hotel room and just binge write one weekend a month. There's lots of right ways to write. It's, you don't have to write every day to serve people with your words. So we establish a routine that I, as your coach, can hold you accountable to and celebrate and keep you on your keep us on our deadlines to get your book published in the time we want it. Then we get a little more intuitive. We tune into the book. So I hold the belief that there's not just two parties involved with this book. It's not just you, the writer, and myself, the, the partner in writing and marketing coach, but I believe the book idea within you, and I don't know what kind of words you want to use to describe this, but I believe that it's a third party and that sometimes writer's block can occur when you and I, when regardless of my best efforts and attempts to be in tune with your book idea and what it's saying, sometimes we'll come at an impasse. We're eat and the book is like, no, 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 no. <laughs> and so we get to be intuitive and get in tune with the book and check in with what's the overarching question that it wishes to explore or the main problem that it seeks to guide the reader toward, if it's a memoir or a work of nonfiction. How does it want to tell its story? What's the style, the format? Because there's a big chance everything, not there's not, there's not a big chance. It is accurate that everything healthy grows. Everything healthy evolves. So there's a huge chance that your writing style, your genre, your target market for book number two could be vastly different from book number one. And that's good and beautiful and holy. And we get to get in tune with that. What is this book? How does it want to tell its story? And who does it want tell to tell it to? So we spend a lot of time getting in tune with the book itself. And then we write the book. I create a template based on neurological research around what is the utmost readable, retainable, readable, retainable, relatable, and highly marketable template for your book. So studies show that the average nonfiction book is read thoroughly through chapter three, and then it's skimmed the, the rest of the way. So knowing that reader trend, when I help clients design their books, it's designed in a way that there is this pull, hand-holding of the reader toward the very end of the book, a page turner, keep them up way past their curfew with no regrets. They know that you, the author, is taking them somewhere and they can't put the book down because they want to get to that last page. They want to get to where you're taking them. So we, we create a template. I create a template along with the writer so that you never have to wonder, oh God, what am I going to write tonight? <laughs> there's very, there's very few little space for self-doubt to come back in or self-sabotage or whatever, because we know what you're writing that week. And then of course, my partner does all copy and line editing. We break through writer's block. We've already said that sometimes through unconventional ways. It might often, it's very often meditation or a journaling sheet together or a movement getting back in our body. It could be watch this Dolly Parton documentary on Netflix and let's talk about the divine feminine and pleasure because I have served, I have served clients before that have forgotten how to have fun 
And they have, they have, and I can definitely relate to that, spending so much time in my life not being an integrated person, <laughs> being in, knowing when to tap, let the divine feminine lead and knowing when to let the divine masculine lead, just being so living in the divine masculine. <laughs> and there's not much fun there. And so we, some clients, we get to men and women, regardless of anatomy, we have gotten, we have had to, gotten to, I should say, do many exercises to break through writer's block that involve the divine feminine, that involve the the sacral chakra of pleasure, of play. And that might be something as simple as I had a, a client who was a community organizer and retired army. Yeah. And he, he was a man's man. If I, I think that's, a, I think that's the right word to describe that. And he, we worked together for, oh gosh, a year and a half and about I don't know what month point it was, but we added to not only was he learning how to build his brand as an author with organic social media marketing and his website and his email list, all the things that we do, but he was also asked every week, he was a flautist and he had not been playing in many years. So we got to celebrate every week on our, on our Zoom. Did you, when did you play the flute this week? Because by doing that, of course we know music and creativity. And he was, he felt self-love and nurturing through that. He felt pleasure. And we know in the sacral chakra, we, we are activating both our sexual and creative energy. And so there was deep healing happening when this man's man played his flute. So that's what can unconventional way of an example of how we break through writer's block. And then the last step is we self-publish the book. So everything that I'm, so many things authors have to worry about mm -hmm. with KDP, with Amazon, with self-publishing, all the formatting, the copyright, the ISBN, the partnership with our cover, my cover designer, who's a multimedia artist. It's a true partnership with the author. So it leaps off the Amazon screen, screen at readers. And so we take care of all, all of that along with the marketing of the book so that the client becomes totally equipped, as I shared, to market their book to bestseller status on on Amazon on drop day guaranteed and we go through organic social media marketing as I talked about their website email marketing building their street team every every it's literally the past since I since I said after being in the game since 2017 and knowing what I wanted and needed and had to find as an author with two books under my belt now mm -hmm. I created this package to meet all of those needs and I I'm so thankful for my my team that has come under me now that we make it we make it happen and we're adding audiobooks on Audible this coming year as well. And so the marketing package is simply <laughs> everything I said except the book writing part. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so well, it's just incredible because all of the things that you've listed are things that have in my own mind prevented me or I've allowed to prevent me from even really trying or starting because in my own mind I'm like I don't know how to design anything I don't know the technical part I don't know blah, blah, blah. And all these things that of course you can like you can find out you can learn mm -hmm. um, but I think for some people especially someone like me the idea that it is a partnership and that there's a support and there's a person that understands that aspect would just give me so much confidence to be like oh, okay so I can do my thing, I can do my part and the rest of it is like kind of covered, you know? So I think that's amazing. Yes. it's It's been such a joy and so much fun to 
create this infra- infrastructure of my business that is totally in the divine masculine. It, it has to be to know the Amazon algorithm, the back end, to know the principles of marketing, but to have it set up and then bring in under me a literary service provider that covers all the copy and line editing and the mm-hmm. uploading and the formatting, and then bring in a cover designer. I can delegate that. And then I get to focus on the intuitive side of coaching, which I feel is, like I said, is is my magic that I bring to clients and is my most favorite part of, of the work. Yes. And, um, and yeah, so it's, yeah. You can feel it. And it's really interesting that it's quite parallel to the work that I do. Intuitive development, but also specifically with mediumship development, because I think it's very similar in that the thing that holds people back is not their ability. It's not their mm-hmm. lack of ability or lack of any of that. It, it's always mindset related or it's to do with this fear around being wrong or this inability almost to surrender, inability to have fun with it, like actually get into the joy of working with spirit. And so when people, of course, we take it seriously. We want so much to like do justice for spirit. Like we're, it's a big, it is a big serious thing, responsibility to be an ambassador for the spirit world. But I think when we get too serious and too in that mindset, it actually, it just closes it down. It's almost like it's so difficult to allow the flow. And it's very similar to creativity, I think, too. And and what you were saying before about writing process, if you could infuse it with that joy and if people can remember how to embrace that lighthearted kind of energy, like take it seriously, but not to the point where you're just like holding yourself back. I think that's the that's the key. And then then there could be all this flow that happens. Oh, my gosh. hundred percent. Yes, 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 yes. It's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah, just for people to hear that, to know that if we are holding ourselves back, but we could also, we have the key to open that door too, you know, like that we Mm. can at any time choose that we're going to be open to a different way, you know, different way of seeing it, different way of working. But it's wonderful to have, yeah, that guidance. And I think your ability, yes, you're right. That magic is that intuitive guidance and connection and that way of working with an individual you know like to really give them what they need so I think that's amazing yes so I think I know the answer to this but I mean there's probably lots of them (laughs) what what inspires you like what are some things that inspire you what inspires me okay what's coming to me is I'm literally spelling out the definition of inspire right now in my head. So what's coming to me is, I think you're asking, or at least this is what I want to answer, so maybe I can answer it. Meg, what catalyzes you to act? Is that how, or should I Google inspire from my mind right now? Whatever whatever comes to you. So yeah. Okay. What, what yeah. I think what makes me so excited and what inspires me and what catalyzes me to act is how books have changed my life and how the author Danielle Schroyer, who wrote an amazing book, correcting all of our views of original sin, by the way, mm. Danielle Schroyer calls books soul friends. Oh, yes, that, yes. I love that. That Yes, that has been my journey 100%, the healing power of books in my own life. So I get so excited when I work with such, I call them spiritually attuned go-getters. 
And what that means is those that believe creativity and creating a book is a divine process, regardless of their religious affiliation. Mm -hmm. They have a high frequency of service to others. And I can tell it on an exploration call with Mm -hmm. leads that might want to work with me. I can feel their frequency of service, their motivation for the book. And that, and they also believe, I love, I, my ideal client is someone who doesn't, as Marianne Williamson teaches, they don't, they don't shrink. They don't play small in the name of religion or making someone else feel comfortable. They, they shine and they believe ambition is, is holy and, or they want to, they have a hunger to believe that. And so that's what I call spiritually attuned go-getter. And what it's, what inspires me is the impact they will have on many, many lives once we publish their book, once we get over these limiting beliefs and these deep subconscious blocks, because the everyone I have worked with in the past three years is just truly phenomenally kind and compassionate and creative and talented and driven. And I'm so thankful their brands and their books exist in the world because they're so healing there. I've had books that have like Ruby Wax comes to mind, a comedian, mindfulness-based cognitive therapist. I was having about four or five years ago had some issues in my my family and I began having athletic athlete's heart which I laughed because I'm not an athlete the doctor said it's it's panic attacks your heart is getting tight because mm-hmm. of panic attacks mm-hmm. I began reading Ruby Wax about mindfulness and it healed my heart and so Ruby Wax had that effect just on me so that's what gets me excited is the healing power of the 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 clients that I serve once we unleash them to the world and get them through, get them through their, their blocks. And yeah, I am that, that really. And I think what's also coming to me is there is no wound. There is no wound that God or spirit or universe, whatever word, divine mother, that's been, it's been a label to me lately that has cradled me. There's no wound that is unhealable. And I love, I love working with clients, writers who, as the pastor Nadia Bowles-Weber says, they're teaching from their scars and not their wounds. And they are, they're trusted guides who, have, who are here with their books to show that no, he, no wound is unhealable. That inspires me. Oh, and the third thing that inspires me is that the deeper I have dug in my within myself the deeper i have gone within myself in my own creativity and in the books and the content that i've birthed the world the deeper i've gone to be creative i have found layers of of wounds or that i got to heal again or at a deeper level or lesson that i i got to relearn and i i see that in my in the in the clients i serve as well i always say with my clients when we birth a book we also birth a breakthrough and that has been true with every client, whether it's getting out of an unhealthy marriage or right before drop day or leaving a job they've hated for 10 years or making them move to France they've been putting off for seven years or, or forgiving that person they never thought they'd forgive or having that sweaty palm conversation. When we birth books, we birth breakthroughs in, in my business. And that, that, in, that inspires me 100, 100%. And simply words. I, words inspire me. I, I share that my relationship with words is is like a cat playing with a new feather toy or writing to me is that like that first kiss on a date, a second date when there's been chemistry with someone for like a month. And then you're finally on a second date and you kiss and you give in a little bit and he gives in a little bit and it's totally mutual and dynamic and electric. 
that's how I relate to words. <laughs> I, Not all my, so, but that's what inspires me. Oh my gosh. Oh, well, uh, yeah, I, I love all of what you said, but I feel the same way about words and books. Like I just, words to me are so important. And so mm-hmm. I've had throughout my life, people say to me, well, what does it matter? Like, you know, when I have like, like I'll bring something up and say, well, that's not actually, that's not the word that I would choose. You know, like I would, I <laughs> will, about that. and I've had people say to me over and over, well, what difference does it make? And I'm like, oh no, you don't understand. Words are so powerful. Words are spells. Words are healing. Words are like an elixir for the soul. Like words are energy you know, emotion, right? So whatever we speak, whatever we write, that's huge. They matter a lot, in my opinion. So yeah, I really, I really relate to what you're saying. And I would say too, you know, within that inspiration that you have, or that you feel with the working with the clients, I kind of get that it's also, you're kind of inspired by the courageous, like you have that within you. And so I think when you see other people who are willing to be a bit rebellious like they're willing to go mm-hmm. against the grain they're willing to kind of like enter into the unknown into the uncertainty I think that probably is also quite inspiring to you I, I find the same thing for me like when I see my students that like they don't know where they're headed they don't know where this like this mediumship is going to take them they don't know what they're going to say and they just do it and they do it even if they're scared even if they're nervous I, I just have so much that inspires me so much because I I relate to it, but then also it's like, yes, we we all have to become courageous like that, you know, in, in order to make that expression of ourselves in this life. I think it takes a ton of courage. Oh my goodness. I am so on fire right now with just what with joy with with what you said that you are you're so good at what you do, with that, which I already knew. And so you are spot on at that feeling at feeling that and it it makes that it is their courage that inspires me. I, when I was young and was already working in the church and would assist with funerals, and as I grew, I got to lead funerals, do funerals and things. But as as a young person joining my grandparents in ministry, I literally had this thought that I I kind of liked. I didn't likes a strong word. <laughs> what I what I found and what I believed was happening to me when I go to funerals and is that I wanted to be with the people grieving because I wanted their superpower of what they were experiencing, if that makes any sense. Yes. Like I won't. And so I felt that. And I even articulated that much later in my 20s to someone that they have, they are doing what I want. They have something I want. They have that resilient spirit. They're grieving. I want, it's like they have a superpower and it's contagious. I want to be with them in their grief. And I have always felt that way as long as I can remember. Yeah, so. I get it. It's because it's so sacred. And mm-hmm. also, I find for me, what I'm noticing over the last while is that when I feel the most alive is when I'm working, when I'm working with spirit. And mm-hmm. I mean, that can take different forms. Sometimes that's writing, sometimes that's speaking. But for the most part right now, it's, you know, working with spirit, communicating and bringing, you know, through loved ones for individuals and groups. But it's so ironic that it's like the times when I feel most alive is when I'm like working with so-called dead people, even though we know they're mm-hmm. not really dead. Mm-hmm. But like, it's just, <laughs> some people said like, isn't that depressing? Like, do you ever feel like you're just like, that's a lot. 
And I think, no, it makes me feel so alive, like to Mm -hmm. be in that energy and to be working with spirit so closely and working with people who are in their grief, you know, like that, Mm -hmm. that actually is such a a life giving kind of energy for me. So yeah, it's very interesting. It reminds me, I think you will love this answer of this client gave whenever I'm on an exploration call. One of the near to the end questions that I ask is, what specific difference, and get really selfish, what specific difference in your life will having this book released, hitting bestseller on Amazon and serving readers? And we, I had to share that we, one, there's so many benefits to getting bestseller on Amazon. Not only is it a great business card for more speaking opportunities, but more importantly, once it hits bestseller, Amazon shows it to more people that are looking at similar books. So it's not only an ego boost, which feels really good, but more importantly, it does get the book in front of more people. So I asked her, as I do everyone, and this was last March and her book dropped in November. And um, and I asked her on the exploration call, be as selfish as possible. What specific difference would having this book out in the world serving others make in your life? Be selfish. Because as I, I tend to attract those who are religious or spiritual or come from that world and it's hard for us to be selfish. Yeah. And so I tell them to be selfish. Don't I said I don't want to hear I don't even hear I don't even want to hear about your kids <laughs> or your yeah. husband like what does it mean to you? Yeah. And she said without missing a beat and I love the answers I get. She said my husband crossed over 6 months ago. We were married 37 years and my second husband is ready for me. So I need to collapse time in my grief by writing this book. So I am ready for my second husband. And I, I get chills right now thinking about it again. And that was that was a specific difference it, it made in her life. And she knew it. She wanted to get her grief done. And she had this intuitive nudge that her second husband was ready for her. It was, it was phenomenal. It was and so the book, the book birthing process for her was was part of her grief journey and part of her, they had nine children and it was part of their grief journey too wow such it is such an intuitive answer you know that came straight from her soul that yeah and i think yeah in so many ways it's therapeutic but also like for your own it's therapeutic for yourself to begin with just the process but then also there's something about that that offers yeah what it puts out into the world but then yes yeah that's such an insightful insightful thing that she was sort of like touching upon there so yeah i mean like yeah that's so cool it's exciting it's so exciting for people i'm sure what about like any tips for new writers Mm -hmm. yes 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 so the first tip that comes to mind is to these it's a (laughs) two-parter I'll keep it brief. <laughs> the first part is that because it's your show it's, and I know your listeners, the caliber of souls that they are, if I could say that without sounding pretentious, I will say that the first tip is to know that the idea to birth your book, that idea that's been whispering to you for five to seven years is really a common answer. It whispers, it mm-hmm. percolates quietly within us. Mm-hmm. That book idea is bubbling up, is whispering to you for two reasons. And both, both reasons are equally important. The The first reason is it wants to give you and bring you joy of birthing it. And that's why you don't want a ghostwriter. You want to birth it yourself. 
mm-hmm. and I'm not a ghostwriter. I get asked to do it all the time. I'm like, nope, <laughs> I want I want to be with this author six to twelve months, and they are going to birth this book. Anyway, it wants to bring you joy, and the second reason, which is just as important, and we see this in scripture, in Christian scripture. When Jesus in 1 John 1.10 prays for the oneness, that we would all be aware of the oneness that we have with each other and that he has with the Father. That's the words he uses. Mm-hmm. And we see it in quantum physics that there is this connection that thought follows energy. That So the second reason the book is whispering to you is that there is someone right now. I got chills in my legs. There's someone right now outside of you who is having thoughts, who is questioning, who is not sound overdramatic, desperately hungry for the help that your book is going to give them. And they are like, where can I get help with this issue? And they're waiting for someone with your exact experience, your exact wounds and scars, your exact authorial voice and style, your exact brand, your exact book idea and its quirky and weird style that you're going to birth it in. They, that's why that idea is within you. It's for those two reasons. The joy it's going to give you, and equally as important, someone out there is hungry to be served by it. So believe that to be true because it is true. It is true. Without a shadow of a doubt, it's true. I always say, unless you are doing a GoFundMe campaign to raise money for full body laser, full laser body hair removal, your idea to be a divine co-creator is there to bring you joy and to serve somebody else who's literally wanting you to write the book. They might not know your name, but they are wanting, oh God, I wish there was a book on this and they're waiting on you to do it. And so that's the first part. And the second part is once you believe this to be true, I want, I encourage you to talk to the book idea within you and surrender to it and let it know that you see it or that you hear it, that you love it that you love it and then watch and listen and see how once it knows that you are surrendering to it, that you see it, you believe it and you trust it. That doesn't mean that you have to know the how. It just means that you, you're surrendering to the what, that this book will exist. I'm choosing to surrender to it. Once you surrender and choose to birth the book, that idea is going to go from a little drop, like a faucet leaking in the night to Niagara Falls it's going to go to a soft whisper to cranking the volume way up. Oh, she's ready now. She she's she's trusted. She sees me. She loves me. She's surrendering to me. Okay, let's do this. The volume of it will get much louder and doors will open for you. So that's the those are the two parters for, for tips for those just getting who have who are kind of thinking, not kind of, who are thinking and feeling, I really want to I really want to write a book. I really want to write a book. Those are the two tips I'd give. Wow. Amazing. Amazing. I love it. And I find that to be so, yeah, so helpful. And I know there's going to be lots of people that will really benefit from those words. So I appreciate that. Is there anything else that you want to share with us? Anything else that you feel inspired to chat about? So many thoughts, so many thoughts, (laughs) which, which, (laughs) which one, which one serves, which one serves? Okay, this just came to me. And that is that this is getting more to the technical side of the game mm-hmm. of whether, regardless if you're doing a memoir or a work of nonfiction, know that the target audience and the title of your book, those are two things that I have witnessed come to authors at different times of in the process. And that is good. 
holy and beautiful. And to to trust that. There have been many times when we were crafting the book together. Guess my exact title, my technical term, part of what I do would be developmental and structural editing. And then my partner, Brent, is the copy and line editor. So I'm the big picture person. And then once it's all done, we give it to him for spelling, spelling and grammar and formatting and footnotes because I don't want to mess with that. And so in the, the whole process, I've noticed that someone will be writing and they, from the marketing perspective, we might not be clear on how we're going to do the messaging around this book till, oh goodness, if it's a six, if we're because because we can do a we can sprint and do your book in six months, or we can leisurely take our time and do a twelve month plan. But say if it's a twelve month plan, we might not have the messaging around the book till month seven, and the book will most likely be eighty percent done. And so give yourself grace if you're like, ah, I don't know who my ideal reader is. I don't know how I would describe them or message to them or market to them. That and the title come at different times. Yeah. And that is totally good and holy and beautiful. Uh, it's phenomenal that you're saying that because I think it leaves space, it leaves room to be divinely led and inspired. So mm-hmm. when you think you have to have that in place prior to even beginning to put like pen to paper or whatever, I think it might limit some people. Like I know it would limit me. I think I would get real in my head about that. And then it would almost be like, I'm committed to committed to that. And I could, I could feel myself almost feeling like, Oh, there's not any room here. But for some people, some people might be like, that might be their comfort that might be good for them. But for someone like me, I would love to be able to keep it open so that I could allow it to grow and change and evolve, like as I write. So I think that that makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. Yes, the coaches, the coaches I have worked with, they, they usually come in clear on their target audience because their book, they're, they're, they're similar mm-hmm. sometimes. But those that are not coaches that and or are not business owners, and like I have teachers that have written books and a cable guy wrote a book that I worked mm-hmm. with. And those people, they, if they're writing, if they're writing a work of nonfiction, what they're actually doing, I've seen, is they're writing to a former version of themselves mm. from and mm-hmm. that yeah. is good and that's good and beautiful and holy and awesome and then quote right and then once the book is about 80 to 90% done we begin the messaging around the book from marketing and get very clear on who is the ideal reader for this book and what we end up doing is just describing them <laughs> 10 to 20 <laughs> years ago or whatever it was before they had their pivot into what they're teaching now and so they're they're a true guide from the trenches that the trusted guide from the trenches they they teach because They've been there and in a sense are still there. And so I've seen that intuitively happening many times with authors. So that would be that would be the last thing that comes to mind is like you said, give yourself grace. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then once those once because we all of the principles and techniques of writing and marketing, those things are meaningless if we are being held back by, like you said, like, oh, oh what am I gonna call it? What's a marketable subtitle? Or, oh gosh, who's my ideal reader? If we haven't yet surrendered to the idea and believe that it's there to bring us pleasure and joy and equally as important, it's there to serve someone else who's basically begging us to write it, even though we'll never meet them. We have to first surrender to those things before we get into the all the fun, simple, technical, mechanical things of, of writing and marketing your best-selling book. Yes. Oh, fantastic. Well, let everyone know where they can find you. 
Yes. So I am on Instagram at Hey Meg Calvin, and then Facebook Meg Calvin, TikTok Meg Calvin, and then at MegCalvin.com. If you would like, you can go get a free training on my website, Three Ways to Make Marketing Your Book More Fun and Less Frustrating. That will get you on my email list, which offers great weekly tidbits of the, the spiritual side of writing a best-selling book that serves people. So get that free training and get on the email list or get the free training and then unsubscribe. That's totally fine with me. <laughs> Just get the free training. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, I can't even express to you like what a joy this has been. This is so beautiful, this conversation. And I really, really appreciate you for like being here, for sharing what you've shared and for inspiring me and many, many other people. So thank you so much. Oh, well, thank you. Your show has been, a as we as we would say in the, ch the Christian church growing up, as you know, that, that hymn, there is a balm in Gilead. Your show, your show has been a healing balm to me. I have... It's been so, as I shared in the email to you, your gifts of hospitality just come through in such a strong way in my earbuds. I feel so welcome and nurtured. I'm learning so much to help strengthen my own gifts of intuition. I just love it. And I, I can't thank you enough for, for offering this show and giving me the unbelievable honor of guesting on it. Ah, well, it means a lot to me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I really want to just say for, for those of you listening, definitely check out what Meg has to offer. And we'll just leave you with that. So thank you so much, Meg, and wishing everyone a really happy and beautiful 2023. And we will talk to you next time. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the show, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or feel free to leave a rating and a review. You can follow me on Instagram at Melissa White Medium or on Facebook, Psychic Medium Melissa White. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.